0: For the sake of those who are joining us, we are uh, making our way through the book of James. My name is Pastor Jeremy, and um, James is a book filled with God's wisdom for daily living. It's an intensely practical book, and we have been blessed, I believe, as a church body, to be walking bit by bit through this book as we hear God's wisdom. And seek to apply it to our lives. You know, the blessing of hearing the wisdom of God is not just in the hearing of it though, right? It's in the doing of it that we are blessed. And God today uh, has another blessing in store for us as we look at His Word. I'm going to read now from James 4, uh, verses 13 through 17. As I read, I remind you and myself that this is the Word of God Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Lord, we pray that together as your body... um, As we submit ourselves to your word this morning, as we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and illuminate this text to our minds and to our hearts, that you would humble us, Lord, that you would cause us uh, to do the very thing that James is instructing us, that is to humble ourselves before you in view of all of our lives. Help us to recognize that every day that you give us breath is a gift from you. And help us to give you all of the plans that we can think about and plan for our future. May we give them to you day by day as we seek to walk in your will. Lord help us. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Many people, though perhaps not all, like to make plans. Many people like to make plans. Some people like to plan events, and I'm glad for those people to, to help us even as a church to, to help make plans for events. Other people like to dream about events in the future. Uh, some of us sometimes find that even the anticipation and the planning of an event is almost as fun as the event itself, right? Um, me, I for one, I love thinking about um, times with my family. I love thinking about maybe planning a, a vacation. And, and the anticipation of that time together with us as a family is, is so fun because you, you look forward to it and you plan with great joy in advance of these things. Some people like to plan in other ways, too. Like they like to set goals, like business goals or financial goals or professional goals. Sometimes fitness goals around the the first of the year, then they last about till the third week of the year. But but we like to plan and to make goals. And in many ways, planning is good. Preparation is thoughtful. To run through life without planning, to run through life in a haphazard way without that kind of foresight or, or planning would seem to misuse the gifts that God has appropriated to us to be used for his kingdom work and for his glory so planning is good i heard uh this past week i i was listening to a podcast i heard that the evangelist john wesley used to plan out his days in 20 minute segments so that he could maximize his impact for the kingdom of god 20 minute segments You would think you'd do more planning than actually doing if you're doing it every 20 minutes. But his intention was, Lord, I don't want to waste any of the time that you give me. I don't want to waste any of that time in my work for your kingdom. James this morning, James is writing to people who are making plans. They're going here. They're going there. They are going to conduct business in this and this city. And his words, to be clear, they're not suggesting that planning is wrong. Um, His words, though, are saying that there's a a type of planning, There's there's a certain kind of planning that is wrong. In fact, in verse 16, he calls a certain type of planning evil. And you might think, okay, James, are you being dramatic here? What could be evil about making plans? He calls evil the kind of planning that presumptuously and proudly makes no reference to God. It's planning life without thinking about God, without depending upon God, without acknowledging that our very life and breath depends on God. So, so planning that is evil, planning that is presumptuous, presumes on God and His grace. And it doesn't take him into consideration as we make our plans, And when we dismiss God from our plans, the creator and sustainer of all of our lives, when we dismiss him as if we don't need him or as if we don't look to him, James says that's proud. He calls it arrogant. It's boastful. And James is calling his readers and God by the same token is calling us to a pattern of humility As it relates to the way that we view our lives. In fact, James has tilled the soil and prepared the ground for the readers of this word to hear this. Look what he says. Again, keep your Bible open if you would. Look at verse six in chapter four. He's tilling the soil here. He's like, God opposes the proud, but gives what? He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 10 again. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So two calls to humble ourselves. And though in these verses he doesn't use the word humility, of uh, the overall thrust of these five verses is humility, and to remember the Lord in all of the plans. In all of our comings and goings, all of it is dependent upon the Lord. So here's what I would say. If I were to summarize the teaching of these five verses, I would say it in the following way. Uh, Live each day in humble dependence upon the Lord, eager to do His will. Live each day in in humble dependence upon the Lord, eager to do His will. Now, you might ask, well, why, why would we do that? Well, because of the nature and the character of the Lord. The Lord is good. And living in humble dependence upon Him, on our good God, what does it do? Number one, it honors Him. And number two, it's the only pathway to true joy. And and this is where you know the rubber meets the road for our lives because we think that we know the pathway to true joy. And so we say, here's what Christians, myself, what we often say is, like, here's my plan, Lord, would you please bless it? As opposed to saying, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do, and I believe this is the way you are leading me, but I'm open. ...to you changing the way because I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be about your business and not about building my own little kingdom. And so in order to help James readers see how to to go according to life, according to our own plans... ...he uses three arguments in this passage um, to help convince us and convince his original readers... To humble ourselves before the Lord. The first thing he says, the, the first point he makes is, number one, you don't know tomorrow. Point number one, you don't know tomorrow. Look at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. James says, hey, Come now, you who are planners and who are forgetting God. Come now, you who think you know what tomorrow holds. He says, come now, you who make plans on the basis of your own talents and your own abilities and your own strategies. Come now, you who think you've figured it all out. Come now, let us talk together James says they've got their business plan and they intend to carry it through on their own strength they are presuming upon God and James out of love for them he loves these people as he's writing this letter he seeks to correct their self-sufficient notion that all of life depends really upon themselves and he, he does that by saying he reminds them of a truth you don't know what tomorrow will bring how true is this? It's true of us today as well. None of us can know what tomorrow will bring. No horoscope, no fortune teller, no psychic reading. Um, I, I enjoy watching a bit of uh, March Madness. I enjoyed watching my team UConn thrash Gonzaga last night. And in the process, I don't watch a lot of TV, but in the process of watching some of these games, I saw this commercial that floored me. The commercial was really well done. It was so slick. It was so smooth. And it was a commercial. I I think the the title of the group was California Psychics. And and the commercial, it was so well done. It was like primetime TV. California Psychics. Do you want to know how your life is going to go? Call 1-800-whatever and talk to these psychics who will tell you, who will help you, give you insight on your life. I could not believe how 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 slick this marketing was. And that's where we are as a, as a nation, as a culture, as a people. We're so eager to figure out something in our lives that we're willing to pay money and talk to somebody whom we've never met, who doesn't care a lick about us, and the only reason they're picking up the phone is because they're going to get paid to do it, We're so craving information about our lives. If we could just get some nugget of truth somewhere through some some way, we're willing to pay to do it. It's unbelievable. But it's, it's a taste of who we are as people. We crave to know something about the future. None of us knows anything about the future except what God has promised. And none of us knows What tomorrow will hold. No one knew back in 2019 at the end of the year that all it would take to virtually shut down the entire planet would be a virus. None of us knew that that was coming. And your world and my world can change in an instant. We all know it, right? A phone call from the doctor a lab report that comes back, the policeman stopping by at your house, your employer telling you that they unfortunately need to make regrettable cutbacks. And in an instant, our lives can be changed. This is what James is saying. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And his intention here is not in any way to promote fear in our lives. God never wants us to live out of fear, but it is, it is intended to humble us enough to say, wow, you're right. I, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I, I have no control over what happens tomorrow, in fact. And that very fact alone should humble us enough to say, Lord, I, I, I endeavor to do this. I'd like to do that. I'm going to set my plans there as... As, as I believe you've led me to, but I, I hold it with open hands because I don't know what tomorrow holds, but you do. But you do. You see, dear friends, there is such comfort, there is such grace for us in recognizing that we don't understand what tomorrow holds, but we know the God who does. Amen? What comfort comes to our hearts in a world that in some way is going crazy. And when we look at the future, we're like, boy, I don't like the looks of this. We have comfort this morning because though we don't know what happens tomorrow, we know the God who does. And He stands in sovereign authority over everything that occurs even the stuff in our lives that we don't particularly like or we wouldn't particularly want. See, God is gracious to withhold the future. He really is. Let me illustrate it this way. If we could see the future and we could see perhaps, let's say, the Success and blessing that, that God may bring. Well, do you know what our temptation would be in that moment? If we could see the future and it was looking good, do you know what our temptation would be? It would be toward pride and self-sufficiency. We'd be tempted to say, hey, Lord, thank you very much. Looks like my life is going to go well. Um, thank you. I'll get back to you if I need you, but it looks like I'm on easy street. So thank you very much. And you can just stay up there and I'll stay down here and uh, I'll contact you if I need you. If we knew the future, we might be tempted to do that. In the same way, if we could see into the future, or God told us the future, and we saw that hardships awaited. And some of you have known hardships like I've never known hardship. Some of you have experienced things in your life that You didn't want to happen. And if that were all laid out before us and we could see the future, some of us would be tempted to despondency and fear. We'd lack a joy in life because of that thing or those events that that are coming that that we don't want to have happen. And so we'd be shackled in fear and despondency. Do you see, God is good to not show us what's going to happen but rather to say to us, and this is what he's saying through the book of James, trust me for the future. Trust me and put your hope in me and don't make plans for your life independent of me because the fact is your life, your breath, the breath in your lungs, the breath that I enjoy, it's all a gift from God and we don't know what tomorrow might bring. This reminds me, dear friends, of Jesus and what he was saying when he was teaching his disciples about how to live their lives. He was teaching them in Matthew 6 and listen to the words, listen to the perfect counsel of God. He said, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, when we live day by day trusting the Lord, putting our hope squarely in Him, we have hope. There's enough trouble for today, so we're not going to import tomorrow's trouble into today. So we just say, Lord, you're going to give me the grace today for today. And then tomorrow, when I wake up tomorrow, you're going to give me the grace I need for tomorrow. So we're going to put our our faith in the grace that God's going to give us in the future, and, and just trust Him uh, day by day. Again, this doesn't mean we don't plan or we can't dream for the cause of God and for, the, for how He wants to use us. That's not what I'm saying. What I think James is saying is the way that we live day by day. Is it in humble obedience to Christ? Is it, is it in dependency upon the Lord? Don't be anxious about tomorrow, but actually look to me. Because I'm in charge of tomorrow. And dear friends, there, there's, there's such great hope. This is why we, we talk about gathering in small groups to study the Word of God, to be refreshed and encouraged by the Word of God. Because this Word has so many promises for us. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but this Word has so many promises to us. And when we think about those promises and when, when we live life on the basis of those promises from God, they help us so much to walk in confidence and hope and peace. What gives you and what gives me confidence about tomorrow? Is it because I'm really wise and I can, I can anticipate? Is it because you're particularly skilled at thinking and, and planning? No, that's not where our confidence is. Our confidence... Is in the Lord. Our confidence is knowing that God knows tomorrow, and He promises to walk with us, dear church. You know, if Tim Shori, the the pastor that Chris was referencing earlier, the the one who's who's progressively uh, dying with cancer, if he were here right now, and I know him, many of you know him. And if we asked him, do you have joy in your life today? I know what he would say because I too read the blog. And he would say, absolutely, I have joy. The doctors have said, you know, he's got a few years perhaps to live. Unless the Lord miraculously heals him. But I know what he would say. Yes, absolutely, I have joy. Not because there isn't pain in my body. Not because um, the prognosis from the doctor's standpoint doesn't look very good. He would say, I have joy in my life. I have hope because God promises in my tomorrow to carry me along. And I will one day be carried to my eternal home where I will forever be with the Lord. So... James here says to these, these people who apparently um, were boastful in their proud planning, who were not taking the Lord into consideration into their own hearts, he says, number one, first of all, understand this you don't know tomorrow. And allow that lack of knowledge to humble you before the Lord. If his readers weren't yet convinced to humble themselves for that reason, then he adds a second reason. Not only do we not know tomorrow and what it holds, but secondly, life is brief. Life is brief. Look at verse 14. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then... Vanishes now. James, to be clear, James is not uh, somehow here being pessimistic. Oh bummer! James delivers again. No, he's not being pessimistic. He's actually being truthful. He he compares our life to a mist. Now think about what a mist is and how long it sticks around. You know, I remember a few years back, uh, girls would carry around these these spray bottles of mist to to do their hair on like you you see a a vap of mist it just comes out and it's gone as soon as you see it james is comparing our lives to that now you may not think that your life is going so quick in fact sometimes life can seem to slow down when troubles or difficulty comes they it, it can seem to slow down but but the reality is our life goes quickly You talk to anyone who's lived, I don't know, 50 or 60 or whatever, you know, years like that and ask them, has your life gone slowly or has it flown by? I'm pretty sure I'd put money on the fact that they would say it has flown by. I cannot believe that my firstborn is going to be walking down the marriage aisle in just a few moments. I I still remember holding her in the hospital when she she grabbed the Kelly clamp from the doctor. I, I still remember it like it was Yesterday, every, every dad waxes, uh, you know, with fond memories about the birth of their children. Our lives are like a mist. The, the uh, Job says it this way. He says, my days are swifter than a runner. You think about a runner, you see the guy running down the road, or the lady running down the road, you see them and whoosh, they run by you, and then for a few more seconds you see them as their back is to you, and then they're gone. Why is James pressing this point to, again, to depress us? No, of course not. It's to take our lives into proper perspective, to not get too impressed with ourselves and to take note of our time, because our time is here. It's, it's limited. It goes quickly. It passes like a vapor, like a mist, like a beautiful sunset that we see, and we wish we could kind of freeze it in a still frame. Like, that's so beautiful. And even as you're watching it, It is going down, and and before you know it, it's gone. Life is a vapor. Why is he saying this? Here's where the wisdom of the Psalms come to us and teach us again. King David, who spoke with God's wisdom, said it this way, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. So that we may get a heart of wisdom. What is what is James about? The book of James? It's a, a book of wisdom. When he's saying your your life is a mist, it's like a vapor. It rises up and, and before long it's gone. It's not to depress us, but to teach us, in fact, to, to number the days that we have. What does that mean? Well, it means that uh, we can increase the thankfulness that we have for every day that we breathe, right? Because we don't know the number of our days. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what life has in store. So if we number our days, in other words, we don't just like, another day in paradise, going to work tomorrow. I mean, I know that's our temptation, all of us, right? There There are things that we have to do that we may not want to do. But if we submit to the wisdom of God, And the wisdom of God says to us, number your days, then that will make a difference in the way that we face tomorrow. It really will. It will position our hearts to say, Lord, you've given me another day. Thank you very much. You've given me life and breath and health. You've given me the ability to to go to work and and earn an income and provide for a family and and serve other people. You've given me that by your gracious hand. Numbering our days makes us really thankful. Our hearts grow in gratitude for God and for his good gifts as we number our days. Do you know what numbering our days also reminds us? That, That we are very finite and in fact God is not. So when we pray, we are, we are people who have numbered days. God knows the number of our days on this earth. And we are praying to a God who does not have his days numbered. In fact, he's never begun. There was never a time when God was not. He's eternal. He knows the beginning From the end and the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He knows it all. And numbering our days reminds us of our finiteness. Of our inability to know all things. And so it pushes us. Do you see? It pushes us back to the Lord. And say, Lord, I I need you today. I need your wisdom today. Because you're infinite. I'm very finite. And so numbering our days helps us. A third thing that numbering our days does, it does this. It brings a sharpened focus to our lives. Now, I don't intend this comment to be morbid, but just imagine with me for a moment. If someone said to you, and you knew it was true, you have 30 days to live today. You have 30 days to live. What would change in your life? All of our lives would change immediately If we were told you have 30 days to live, there would be people that we'd be contacting today to make amends with. There would be love that we would be so eager to pour out on people maybe that we haven't seen in a while. We would be reaching toward people, not tearing people apart. We would be using our resources for eternal purposes. And see, when we number our days, it causes us to to sharpen the focus of our lives and not just live, hey, just another day. No. Teaching us to number our days. And this is why James says to us your life is like a mist. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. And so, what are you living for today? Who are you living for today? See, God knows what satisfies us, right? He knows what satisfies us. And so when when he inspires James to write these words, the intended effect is that it sharpens the focus of our lives in such a way that we will cut out the chaff, the stuff that doesn't bring joy, and it focuses our hearts on Jesus Christ, the only one who can bring joy. Because our satisfaction will never be found in the accumulation of goods in the rise of a bank account, in any kind of impression that we can make on other people. Wow, look at that guy. Look at that lady. Satisfaction. He knows that. That's why he's good to remind us to to take a posture of humility and say, you know what? My life is a mist. I recognize something here this morning, dear friends. I recognize that, that I'm in the position that I'm in in this church uh, by God's doing. I didn't force myself in. God uh, put me in this church, and I realize that I'm, I'm warming the seat for the next person who's going to be in that seat. I, I don't know who it is, and I don't know, know the timing of that, but, but I do recognize this. One day, I will not be a pastor at Grace Community Church because my life is a mist. I am here today, and in that sense, gone tomorrow. It sharpens our focus. It helps me say, Lord, help me not live for the things that don't matter. Help me to live for the things that are eternal. James is kind, and God is kind to give us this counsel. I was reading the the biography of this evangelist, theologian, C.T. Studd, and he says it this way. Only one life will soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last, and when I am dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Why should we live in humility before the Lord with regard to our plans? Well, because we don't know tomorrow. Because life is brief, and thirdly, and finally, James, James brings it home here by saying, hey, God's in charge. That's what's going on here. God is in charge. Verse 15, look there with me. Instead of being proud and presumptuous, instead of doing that, he said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, as it is you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So rather than than boast in our plans and say, here's what we're doing, and not think about the Lord, uh, James is saying, hey, let me remind you that your very life and breath is from the Lord himself. And so it would be wise for you to say, if the Lord wills. Now, to be clear, he's not saying, this is some kind of magic mantra that we say before everything. Oh, I, I, you know, if the Lord wills, I'm going to have Chick Fil A for lunch tomorrow, and then if the Lord wills, I'm going to get gas at Wow. No, it's not that. It's more the posture of heart that says, "Lord, um, I want you to direct me in every way. I want you to be the Lord of my heart and my life." And so I'm going to say, "If the Lord wills, here's what we're going to do." So it's not wrong to make plans. It's wrong to make plans without consulting and submitting them to the Lord. Why is this important? This is important that we remember that God is in charge. He's in sovereign charge over our lives because doing the Lord's will, hear me on this dear friends, doing the Lord's will is at times hard, right? The twists and turns of life can come at us and bewilder us. There are times that you may want to bag your profession because you just can't take it anymore. And the Lord says to you, no, stay. There are times when the Lord says to you, I- I'm, I'm calling you to remain under duress. Remain in that place because I want to shape you. Because I want to mold you into something greater than yourself. Sometimes the will of the Lord for us is not pleasant. We know from the book of Hebrews that God, what does he do to those he loves? He disciplines those he loves. Like a father who loves his child, he he cares for his sons and daughters by, by bringing discipline to us from time to time. Why? To be punitive? No, to shape us into the image of his son. Sometimes the will of the Lord is hard. And so it helps us to remember that God is in charge, not us. That when we, when we gave our heart to Christ, we didn't just give him our heart, but our, our whole lives and say, Lord, all of me is for you. All of me. And so when we encounter a season in our lives when, when following and obeying the Lord and doing what His will calls us to do is hard, we can say, Lord, You're in charge. You're good. I know You're working here for my good. I don't exactly see it today. I don't exactly see how it all adds together. But I believe that You're good and I know that You're in charge. Jesus Himself experienced this reality. Remember The Garden of Gethsemane. What we'll celebrate on Good Friday in particular. We celebrate it every week when we sing the gospel. But in particular, the Garden of Gethsemane. There he is praying with great earnestness before his Father. Great sweat like drops of blood coming out. Such an earnest prayer before the Lord. And then listen to the words that he says about the will of God. ...of God that he's to follow. He says, Father, if you are willing... ...if it would be your will... ...remove this cup from me. What's the cup? The cup of wrath. The wrath of holy God that he would drink on the cross. When when God the Father poured out his his wrath against sin... ...against the sin of everyone who would ever believe... He, ...he's pouring that out and he said, Father, if you're willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Sometimes, dear friends, God's will for us may be hard. It may take us through the valley of the shadow of death. But when we remember God's promise to never leave us or forsake us, When we remember that God is always working for good, even in ways that just don't make sense to us, we can persevere even in hard times because we know that God's in charge. He's the one who's sovereignly ordaining all things, all things, for the purposes of His will. So, we can happily submit to God, even in times of sorrow. Is this not true, church? We can happily submit to God in times of sorrow because we know that he's good. If God loves us so much to crucify his son, to bring us to himself, how can we wonder whether he's good in the midst of difficulty? And I don't suggest that's easy. I have sorrows in my own life that I don't always understand. But we can trust the Lord. We can trust him. We can walk with him because he promises to never leave us and never forsake us. And we can trust his character because his character is filled with unapproachable light. What does James say? (laughs) Every good and every perfect gift, it flows down from the Father of heavenly lights, in whom there is no change or variation. This is who our God is, and we can trust him. In verse 17, James concludes the thought by saying so, He applies it here. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Remember, again, the context of James is saying we're to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. So it's not sufficient just to hear the Word of God, but the blessing comes when we do the Word of God. It's not sufficient just to know certain truths, but to act on certain truths. And when we turn our back on the truth... We are sinning. When we don't do what the truth commands us to do, then we are acting in sin. And so he's, he's just putting the nail on the coffin here, saying, dear friends, oh dear friends, humble yourselves before the Lord because you don't know what tomorrow holds, because your life is a vapor, it goes so quickly, and because God is in charge. Now, let me offer to you just two thoughts by way of application like what what does this mean for you and me to live daily under this uh, humility that says lord you're in charge number one application point number one actively daily you might even add moment by moment submit your heart and your plans to the lord and to his will actively daily submit your heart so what does this look like Perhaps it looks like tomorrow morning before your feet hit the floor, you wake up and you say, Lord, I want to do today what you want me to do today. And very likely that is to go to work or uh, educate your kids or do whatever you have planned. Very likely that's his will for you today. But the point is to say, Lord, I'm holding today with open arms and I want to do what you want me to do. And you daily submit to his lordship over your life. And, and perhaps it could be a prayer like the Lord's Prayer. What is part of the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come. What's the next line? You say it. Yeah. <laughs> See, Jeremy Bell is pretty good about building Jeremy Bell's kingdom. And my guess is, so are you. And so we actively daily say, Lord... I'm not building my kingdom today. Help me to build your kingdom. Help me to do your will. Help me to walk in your plans for me. Help me to walk with you. And prayer, by the way, prayer, just a reminder. When we pray, that is in itself an act of submission to the will of the Lord, right? Because we're saying, Lord, by our prayer, we're saying, Lord, I'm not in charge. Therefore, I need to appeal to you who are in charge. That's what prayer is. It's an act of submission to God. And so, dear friends, beloved, let us actively, regularly submit our hearts to the Lord. I I, uh, like this book. It's called The Valley of Vision. You've heard us talk about it before. The Valley of Vision is a collection of uh, the prayers of Puritan people who lived, you know, a couple hundred years ago. And um, there's one particular prayer that I just, I like the way it's written. And I want to read part of it to you. It says this. O God of the open ear. He's simply saying, God, you're a God who hears my requests. O God of the open ear, teach me to live by prayer as well as by providence for myself, soul, body, children, family, church. Listen to this next request. Give me a heart frameable to thy will, so might I live in prayer and honor thee. I can only succeed when I pray according to thy precept and promise and to be done as it pleases thee according to thy sovereign will. He concludes this way. Teach me that it is wisdom for me to pray for all that I have and that there is no wrath like the wrath of being governed by my own lusts for my own ends. What a wise prayer. Teach me, Lord, to submit my heart to you. Teach me to frame my heart after what you want. Teach me, Lord, that there is no wrath, there's no wrath like the wrath of being governed by my own heart for my own ends. There's nothing as bad as that. And so I give you my heart. And I say, Lord, shape me and make me into your character. So number one, daily, regularly submit our hearts to God. Number two, uh, this is what I want you to take home, by the way, uh, especially. Take great hope in God's good character. Take great hope in God's good character. Because he is good. Amen? He is good all the time. God is good. There's never a day when God will do something other than 100% perfectly, purely good. God never participates in even the slightest act of evil. God is good. So we can take great hope in the character and in the nature of God. And be encouraged, when we humble ourselves before the Lord, do you know what happens joy increases, right? I mean, who wants more joy this morning? I want more joy in my life this morning. And the way, the pathway to joy is through humility and through saying, "Lord, you're in charge of my life, not me." Do you see so so humbling ourselves will lead us to greater joy. We will be more thankful people. We'll be filled with gratitude for all the gifts that God has given to us. We'll be thankful for his grace as we rehearse the gospel day by day. So, humbling ourselves before the Lord and viewing our lives before the Lord, it produces great joy. It produces the character of hope. It produces something in us that refines us and makes us into the image of Christ. So, dear friends, take great hope. You have a great God. And he's calling you to submit to him. And his call to you to submit to him is the greatest act of love he could do for you. Because when we're following him, we are following the God of all joy. The God who is good to his creation. I want to call the worship team to come join me on stage. We're going to prepare our hearts to sing and respond to this word. Um, And I, I want to remind us and encourage us with what James is saying here number one he's saying live each day dear friends live each day in humble dependence upon the Lord uh, with an eagerness to do the will of the Lord because we know that when we do the will of the Lord we are in the pathway of great joy and it honors our Lord together would you stand with me as we prepare our hearts to sing and respond to this word Lord, we are appropriately humbled before you this morning. Because we confess together, we we don't know. We have no idea what tomorrow holds. We don't even know this afternoon. And yet you do. And you're the one that has reached out to us through... Jesus Christ, to to forgive our sins if we will believe in Him. You have gone to the most amazing lengths to rescue and to redeem rebel sinners that we once were. And so, how can we not now, with our lives, trust You? We don't know tomorrow, but You do. And You promise. You promise to always be with us. You promise, Lord, that you will never leave us. You'll never turn your back on your people. And Lord, that moves us to faith this morning. It moves us to faith and and joy. Because we really are people of hope. We are a city of good news. Lord, we're a city of joy. And so, Lord, as as we give You our lives, as we say, Lord, I might have thoughts and I might have plans, but I, I just happily now submit them to You and say, if the Lord wills, this is where we're going. This is where we're headed. If the Lord wills, I will have life tomorrow. If the Lord wills, Lord, it pleases you when we humble ourselves before you. This is the message of James chapter 4. And so we humble ourselves now and say, Lord, it's with great joy that we humble ourselves before you, our good and merciful and sovereign Lord. Lord, would you take our lives and would you use them for your purposes? As we're reminded to number our days, that every breath, even in 20 minute segments, every breath might be for you and your kingdom. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.